Hey, good morning, everybody. And if you're watching online, thank you so much for tuning in with us. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we started walking through the book of Nehemiah, and we are already on to chapter two, which is blazing speed in my world, but we're going to continue that today. And as we get into this story, it kind of made me think, like, we've all had those moments where you were asking something and you knew this is a big request. And sometimes you go into that and you have a little bit of confidence, right? Like, hopefully, if you're a guy, you're getting engaged when you go to ask your girl, hopefully it's not a coin flip, right? Like, you're like, I feel pretty good about this one, not... Who knows? Let's, let's throw us out there. But there's other times where you ask something that's big in your world. Maybe it's at work and maybe it's about money. And you go, I have no idea what they're going to say. And I remember years ago, I was working at a church in student ministry. And we would baptize students on Wednesday night in our student service. And my boss, the pastor, came and said, hey, I don't want that anymore. I only want baptisms on Sunday morning. We did robes and things like that. And our baptism numbers kind of went down. And I started working at a new church, and I remember one of the first things, it was like, I want to do baptisms on Wednesday night as part of our service. And so I started research, and I made notes on things, and I didn't have a PowerPoint, but I had it in my head kind of thing. And I scheduled a meeting with my bosses, and I go in, and I'm like, i got to present this, and I have no idea what they're going to say. And so I sat down, and I was like, I want to do baptisms on Wednesday night as part of our service. And I was about to go into all the data and statistics, and my boss just goes, yeah, it sounds good, do it. And in my head, I was like, okay, that's the answer I want, but I got a lot of stuff to talk about. And then another part of me was like, you got what you wanted, just go, just go. And I did, and I was excited. And that's what we're going to see with Nehemiah today. He's going to make a big request. And at one point, he has no idea how it's going to turn out. He's pretty confident in some ways, but there's some other things that could happen that would be very different. It's either going to be very successful or he's going to die. I mean, those are his options right now. And so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning. Look in verse 1. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screens. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now as we get into this, last week we kind of saw that Nehemiah started with the most important thing. Like he, he knew there was a situation, he was burdened for his city and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. That's, he laid this foundation of prayer, and we talked about what that prayer looked like. And as we get into this part of the story, now there's going to be some action to it. But before we really get into it, I want to ask this question. Does God's glory move you to action? Does his glory move you to do something? Like, do you stop down in a moment in the day and find yourself going, man, I've, I've gone through everything. It's nighttime, and I haven't spent any time thinking about God. There's times where we get up and we just kind of go through what I call the treadmill of life. You get up, you go through the same processes, you go to the same work, you go to the same classes, you do the same things, you come home and at the end of the day you go, man, I really haven't thought about God that much. Like, does it affect us at work? And sometimes people go, well, I, that's, work is different. Like, when I go to work, I am typically thinking about God's glory. I get a pass on that one. I understand that some people go, well, no, I'm like a teacher. Like, how does that play in? But do you think about the fact that you have the opportunity to impact someone's life and point them towards something greater? 
Do we see this at home? Like, do we invest time in making God's glory known in our families with our kids and things like that? Like, do we think about God's glory and does it move us? Does it change our mood at times? Like, are there times where you would say, man, I was like Jesus. I looked out on people and I had compassion. Or there's other times where we just look and we go, man, I don't have compassion. In fact, what you're doing upsets me and I don't want to be around you. Like, Nehemiah has God's glory in mind. He knows, I just got word that the city of God, Jerusalem, 1,500 miles from where I'm standing, it's in ruin. And I know that it stands for something. Like, for for generations, people have said, that's Jerusalem. That's where God's glory lies. That's his city. This is his people. It meant something to him. God's glory moves Nehemiah, and it moves him to action. And as we get into some of this, sometimes we read things and go, I just kind of read over that really quickly when it says, in the month of Nisan. Like, that month doesn't exist on our calendar. In ancient times, it was kind of in between March and April. But what we know is if you look back in chapter 1, Nehemiah has spent four months in prayer. Four months in deep, desperate crying out to God prayer saying, God, either take this burden from me, like, because it's heavy and I don't want it anymore, either take this burden or give me the answers and show me how to do what I feel like you're calling me to do. For four months, he prays, and he prays, and he prays, and he listens, and he listens, and he listens. And he starts to get an answer. And so he now finds himself before the king. We saw last week he was the cupbearer. I still haven't decided how I feel about that position. In one sense, it was a position of, hey, it's kind of honorable. Like, you're around the king all the time. You're going to get invited to all the good parties, like, because the king's there, which means, hey, whatever the cool band of that day was, um, they show up, and you get to be a part of it. You get to see the king. You get to hear all these conversations. But every day, you go to work knowing, I could die today. And so I haven't really figured out if that's really the job path I would want to take. But Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer. Every meal, everything he eats and drinks first goes before Nehemiah. And it is kind of a scary position because one of our Xerxes' ancestors was poisoned. That cupbearer did a poor job. (laughs) Supposed to be you, buddy, not me. But every day he takes a sip of the king's wine, takes a bite of the king's food. They wait a minute. Hey, he's still alive. And then he gets to eat. There's a couple things that come with this. One, Nehemiah is obviously very trustworthy. Like King Artaxerxes, probably one of the most powerful men on the face of the planet right now, has an unbelievable amount of trust in who Nehemiah is. He has integrity. He's got a trustworthiness. And so he gets to experience the king a little bit more. But there were also some formalities of being in the king's court. One of the things about being in, in, a, in a Persian king's presence, it was believed that the fact that simply being in my presence should make you very happy. And so one of the rules was, you don't be sad in front of the king. Literally, that was kind of written in. It didn't matter if you just found out everything that possibly could have gone wrong in your life went wrong, and you want to cry, don't do it in front of the king, because they don't like that. They like making people happy just simply with their self. And so he finds himself in front of the king, and man, he's burdened. Like, Nehemiah's got this burning desire to see something done for God's city, and it shows up on his face. So much so that the king says, why is your face sad? If you translate it literally from Hebrew, the king looks at him and goes, why is your face bad? Now, you can read emotions on people's face, right? Like if you've got a spouse, you know that. Never say, why is your face bad? Just simply ask, what's wrong? 
But he's the king, so he can do whatever he wants. And he looks at Nehemiah and goes, why is your face bad? I know you're not sick. Um, this is just sadness of heart. And Nehemiah goes, I was afraid. The reason he was afraid was he's now breaking one of those rules in the king's presence. And sometimes if your cupbearer looks sad, that means there could be a plot on your life. That means that there could be, like, he, maybe he really likes me, but he knows that he's not going to get a good sip of this wine and there's poison in it and I'm going to die. Like, Nehemiah was afraid because Nehemiah thought the next words out of his mouth will determine a lot of things. If it's positive, I get to live. If it's negative, if he says off with his head, there is no recourse for me. There's no appeals court. They're going to take me out back, and I'm going to die. And so Nehemiah goes, I was, I was afraid. We get to see a lot of his response in this because it could have meant the death plot. One, Nehemiah answers very honestly. Like at some point today probably, somebody walked up and said, how are you doing? And because we're so wired for it, we go, I'm doing great, how are you? When sometimes we're not doing great. And sometimes you go, man, life is not good right now. Nehemiah, he answers with honesty. One, he was a trustworthy guy, but he answers with honesty. And there's times we need to learn from that. Now, if a perfect stranger asks you, hey, how are you doing today? And you unload like everything on them, that's going to be the start to an awkward relationship. But hopefully there are people in your life, and I'm praying that this church has a community built within it to where if someone says, hey, how are you doing, and you're not okay, you can answer honestly. And Nehemiah does that. He says, well, of course I look sad. The city of my father's, where, like where their graves are, where my ancestors were, it lies in ruin. He answers him with honesty. He also answers personally. Now, I know it's been a crazy couple weeks, and so... I don't want this to sound political, but he didn't answer politically. Um, he answered with a personal response. You can learn a lot from Nehemiah in the way that he presents what he's going to present. Because he says, hey, this was a place that I cared about, but he doesn't say the name of the city. He never says Jerusalem in this. Because Nehemiah knows something. See, if you go and read the book of Ezra, you find that the king, the actual king that he's talking to right now, had some people that came to him years before and said, hey, there's a bunch of people wanting to rebuild that temple in Jerusalem. And every time they do that, man, the Jews, they get riled up and they're going to they're gonna fight back against you. You need to stop them. And so King Artaxerxes made a decree where he said, no more building. And now Nehemiah is going before the most powerful man in the world going, I want you to, to go back on that. A general rule is most kings don't like to have their minds changed. There's a power aspect to it. And he goes, no, this is what I said. But, but Nehemiah makes it personal. He says, man, that's, that's where my ancestors' graves are. And see, Artaxerxes had ancestors, and he knew where their graves were. And in this moment, he makes this a personal thing, and he does it with loyalty. He says, uh, let the king live forever. This is something he had probably said a thousand times. It was probably a normal greeting for the king. But he means it. Like, Nehemiah has a sense of loyalty to him. And loyalty is kind of a weird thing to me because when I first got into ministry, I worked for some guys where we had lots of loyalty speeches, but it felt less about loyalty to the cross and more about loyalty to a person. And I remember there was one meeting where my boss had us all in and was like, are you going to be loyal to me? And I remember talking to one of my friends afterwards and it's like, you know, everyone that I've been loyal to, they never had to ask for that. Like they, they just naturally earned it. And Nehemiah shows loyalty here in the right way. He's loyal to his boss. He's loyal to the king, but he's also loyal to the king of kings, knowing that, hey, I've been called to something great. 
And one of the best things that you see when he responds is he responds again with prayer. The king says, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. For months on end, Nehemiah has prayed and prayed and prayed. These have been really deep prayers where he's probably on his face and he's trying to listen to God. This isn't one of those. This is a quick, quick prayer. The king just said, what are you requesting? Nehemiah now knows, well, he didn't just say, I'm going to have you killed, so that we're on a good path, but I still want to say just a quick prayer. God, let this be honoring to you. God, let your glory be made known. Amen. Quick prayers can be really powerful. I remember sitting in a classroom one day, and I was taking a test, and I knew this stuff. Like, I'd actually studied for this one, but it was really, really stuffy. It was super hot in the classroom to the point where I'm starting to sweat, and I, I can't focus on anything, and I'll never forget. I just prayed. I said, God, turn the AC on. Amen. And I'm not joking. That second click it felt like the Holy Spirit just like descended on me. I'm like, oh, I just want to live in it. It's like glorious. And it was great. It was exactly what I needed in that moment. Like suddenly I was like, okay, I can focus. I aced the test. But sometimes just quick little prayers as we go into really big things are important. And Nehemiah says, I prayed to God. And then in verse 5, we get to see what he says. It says, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me uh, by the governors of the province beyond the river that, I, they may, or that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter from Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the houses that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. We learn in this that boldness can lead to God-honoring change. <clears throat> when we are bold, it can lead to absolutely God-honoring change. This is a huge request. Like Nehemiah knows, you've already made a decree and you're the king and y'all don't like going back on your word, but I'm, I'm, I know this. Nehemiah knows, I have prayed about it. I have listened. I feel that God is calling me to this. And so with boldness, he goes, you know what? You ask me what my request is and I'm going to make it known. And man, we have been called to live with that same boldness in our lives each and every day. A boldness of knowing that, hey, God has called us to some things. God has equipped us through the Holy Spirit. And there's some things that, hey, if I know God's calling me to do this, and I know that I've prayed about it and sought in his wisdom and thought through it, I don't need to apologize for it. I need to be bold and make that happen. Sometimes we need to be bold and ask big things. Like sometimes it is something at work where you say, you know what, I feel like God's calling me to this, and so i got to be bold in it. At home, God's calling me to this, i got to be bold in it. Years ago, I heard a pastor that said, sometimes you just need to bold, somebody need to ask her out. Like somebody needed that today. Like sometimes we need to have big, bold prayers and make big, bold requests in our own life. And then you get to see a little bit more of Nehemiah's response. One, he's tactful. Again, he doesn't say Jerusalem. And he doesn't say, I want to go. He says, if it pleases the king to send me, you send me. Now Artaxerxes kind of has a feeling of, well, I'm, I'm playing a part in this. This was actually my, I made the decision to send Nehemiah. Nehemiah is very tactful as he goes through it. And Artaxerxes feels like he has a plan. And so he says, or a hand in it. And so he says to him, okay, well, how long are you going to be gone? 
This is where you get to see some of the leadership of Nehemiah. You'll get a lot of leadership lessons out of this book as you look through it. In that four months that Nehemiah was praying, his prayer probably changed a little bit. At first it was, God, either take this burden from me or show me how I'm supposed to do this. And then he's listening and he feels God going, you are going to do this. You're the person who's going to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And at that point, the prayer begins to change of, okay, God, well, what's, what's the plan? How do I do this? And he starts to think through, okay, what would I do to make this happen? He's a great leader, and so he's thought through the entire process, and now he's asked this question of, okay, well, how long are you going to be gone? Because I, I, I do want you to come back. And Nehemiah didn't go, I hadn't thought about that. Let me get back to you. No, this is a big moment. He's making big requests. He's already thought it through. He gives him an exact timeline because Nehemiah had a plan. Nehemiah had a plan because God had given him that plan. Our God is a God of planning. I tell people all the time, man, the Holy Spirit can be in the details. Like we plan a lot at the beginning of the week when it comes to services and what things are going to look like because we serve a God who has a plan. And his plan is never thwarted. He had a plan for creation. He knew, I'm going to create on these days in this order, and I'm even going to implement a day of rest, not because I'm tired, but to teach my people, you will need a day where you can solely focus on who I am. He had a plan in creation. He had a plan in freedom. Years before this happens, the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians for over 400 years. God had a plan for how he was going to bring them out of that, and in his plan, he rose up Moses as a leader with his brother, He had the plagues all planned out. But an interesting thing, there's another verse where God's talking and he says, he names a tribe and he says, I was working on them and I couldn't release my people until my work there was done. Because he knew, hey, if you guys go into the promised land, this group, they'll wipe you out. So I took care of them before you. God is a God of a plan. And thankfully his best plan, man, the plan of salvation, that he made that possible for us. That in his perfect timing 2,000 years ago, he said, now, Now is the day, now is the time, now is the season. I'm going to send my son. He's going to live a sinless life. He's going to teach people about truth. Ultimately, he's going to lay his life down so that people can experience forgiveness. And he made that possible through Jesus Christ. To where we don't have to live life. Like God's God's plan could have been, oh, Adam and Eve sinned. Strike that, wipe it out, start over. And if he did that, God would still be God. He would still be perfectly holy, but his plan was to send Christ, to make a way for us to have salvation. See, we serve a God of planning. And so I kind of have to ask this question, like, what are our plans? Like, okay, start on like the the really surface level, like, where do you see yourself in five years? Like, asking that of going, okay, well, do I have a plan in life or am I just kind of on a treadmill and just going through this daily? But then asking it something a little bit deeper, what are you going to do in 2021? What's your plan for growing in your relationship with God? Do you have one? You hopefully have more than just this. Because I would be a terrible pastor. If I told you if this is the only time that you're getting fed spiritually, you're starving during the week. And you don't have to walk that life. There are way too many things, but sometimes you've got to sit down and say, I need to make a plan of how I'm going to engage with God this year. We talk about lots of different things, the Right Now Media. If you don't have access to that, let us know. We'll send you the link to where you can get tons of Bible studies that literally you can get on the treadmill, not of life, but like at at the gym and start one of those and get in shape and grow in who God is. It's great. 
version app on your phone. It's a great Bible. It's got tons of different translations, Bible studies, um, reading plans, but make a plan to grow in your relationship with God. Because obviously Nehemiah had a plan. And so he says, okay, yeah, here it is. Uh, I want you to send me so I can rebuild the city. But hey, at the same time, I've already thought through the plan. Jerusalem is about 1,500 miles from where he currently is. And he says, okay, to get there, I've got to go through all these other kingdoms. And a lot of times, going through other kingdoms doesn't make people happy. So I need you to send some, like, letters of recommendation, basically, just saying, hey, Nehemiah's a good guy. Let him through. I'm the king, or I'll come after you. And actually, he sent an army with him as well to really kind of drive the point home. And then he goes, well, when I get there, it's not like I can just go to Lowe's and get all the supplies. Um, Why don't you get the guy who kind of oversees the king's forest that, you know, the king can only have the stuff out of there. I'm going to need a lot of lumber, and we're going to need to cart it 1,500 miles away so that we can build the city. Like, Nehemiah has painstakingly thought through this process. It's why he's such a phenomenal leader. And sometimes if we would approach our spiritual life with that same attitude of, man, I'm going to put a plan into place to where I can succeed in this, you'll get to see what Nehemiah saw. Because at the end of it, it said, and the king granted me what I asked for. The king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. So Nehemiah makes this huge request. Then you just watch what God does. He took the heart of Artaxerxes, this pagan king, and said, this is the direction to my will. And the king goes, yeah, you can have all those things. The king may not have wanted to do that earlier in the day. He probably wouldn't. But in that moment, you watch what God does. He just reached down and he said, my will goes that way. That's why I love Proverbs 21.1. It says the kings are like channels of water in the hands of God. He turns them wherever he pleases. This is what our God does. Like he's capable of taking dark, broken hearts and turning them how he wants. We see it in Pharaoh's life where it says God hardened his heart. And people go, well, is that really fair to Pharaoh? His heart was pretty hard already. Um, I think really when it says it hardened his heart, I think what happened was Pharaoh got a little glimpse of who God was. Pharaoh, who thinks he's the most powerful man on the face of the planet, realizes there's something bigger than me, and I don't like that. And so you see God moving in his heart. I got a reminder of it this week. We do a thing, I tell the staff, like we're trying to do it on a more consistent basis, but we do a thing with our staff called Day with the Lord. And the idea behind it is, hey, the first part of the morning, I just want everybody to go, and you do whatever it is that brings you closer to God. If that means you go and climb a mountain, go climb a mountain. Probably not happening around here. But if that's what, what moves you, go spend time with God there. If it's sitting in a hammock reading a book, do that. That was my plan on Monday. It was cold Monday morning, so there was no hammock involved. But I sat down, and really the idea is also it, it's not time to catch up on work. It's really a time of refuel, and I think that's important for us all. And so I get the opportunity to do that with them, and so it's like, go. And I picked up a book that I'd gotten over Christmas. And I, I picked that book intentionally because I knew it was like, it has nothing to do with Nehemiah. And so it's kind of a fresh start for my mind. Two pages in, I'm like, this has everything to do with Nehemiah, and I got a sermon illustration. Um, it's a book called City of God, and it was written by a guy named Augustine. Some call Augustine, if just technicality, it is Augustine. Uh, most people don't even know who that is, and then of all things, the president threw it out with his like, first speech, and he mentioned him. Um, he is a huge person in the world of Christianity. He lived in the 400s, unbelievably intelligent. Um, he grew up basically with a pagan father, wanted nothing to do with God. One day he heard a sermon, God changed his life. 
He went from being a lawyer at the time. He's very brilliant, and he applied that into Christianity, and he had a huge impact on theology that, that reaches out even to today. Uh, years ago, I heard a sermon. It's called The Two Wills of God. And at the time, I was in college, and I was really wrestling through a lot of theological things, and I listened to this message and went, I can close my hand on that now. It was, it's deep. It's, it's long, and you got to listen to it a little bit, pause, chew on it. It's good. And then years later, I learned that the guy that I had listened to, that wasn't his sermon. There was a guy named Dr. John Piper who had given the same message, so I listened to his. And it's pretty much the same. A couple little things changed. And then I found out that's not even his. It goes back to a guy named Jonathan Edwards, who was one of the early Americans and very, very intelligent guy. He graduated high school when he was 12. He graduated Princeton when he was 17 as valedictorian, and he gave, his commencement, or he gave the speech in Latin. The whole thing. You know many patriae file spiritus sante. That's all I've got because I'm an Aggie. Like that's the most Latin I've got in my life. This guy was brilliant. And then I found out it wasn't even his sermon. It went back to Augustine. Like this guy was huge. And the time that he was living in, he's now basically a pastor. He's bishop of a town called Hippo. And the city of Rome had been sacked for the first time in 800 years. And when that happens, you got to blame somebody, right? Like, we live in a society where it's, le- it's less, let's figure out what's wrong, and it's more, well, who do we just blame? And the Romans said, well, you know what? All these Christians keep showing up. Let's blame them. And he was asked to write a response to that. And the, the city of God, if you want to borrow it, it's great. It's about that thick. Um, it's his response to that. Him responding to these people saying, it's your fault. And he told a story that they would have been very familiar with. He says, hey, when... When those Gothic people came in, they came in to kill everybody. And they had every ability to do it. There was no one that was going to stop them. He said, the only place they didn't do that was the churches. See, at the time, there were a number of Christian churches in Rome. And, man, Christians knew, hey, these crazy people are coming to kill everyone. Let's get in there. Let's pray. And then people that were very far from God went, let's get in there and listen to them. Um, And when they came to the city, they said, you can kill everybody. But if they're in a church, you don't go in there. Like, we've heard some of those Old Testament stories. They ain't good. Like, leave those people alone because their God will get us. And they spared their lives. And he reminds these people, he says, all of you that are saying that it's the Christian's fault, you weren't saying that whenever you were inside that church and you were safe. You weren't saying that when God reached out to these crazy invading barbarians and reached down to their heart and said, my will is this way. God can take very dark hearts and do with it whatever he pleases. He did it with crazy invaders hundreds of years ago. He did it with a king thousands of years ago. And the amazing thing is that across the world today, he's still doing that in individuals' lives. Where he reaches down to someone that says, hey, I'd want nothing to do with Christianity. I don't believe in this God, it's hocus pocus, whatever. Like, I want nothing to do. I want to be over here living. I am my own God. And he's capable of reaching down to that heart. He's capable of reaching down to the heart that just says, I like me some me, and I'm very prideful. I'm not a mean person, but I think I got this. He reaches down to the heart that says, I am jacked up, and I don't know what to do with my life. He reaches down to that heart, and he changes it because he's God. For that person that goes, man, I want nothing to do with him, There's an instant moment where somehow God reaches out because he's God. says, I'm going to give you the faith to believe in me. Because Ephesians says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourself. 
God literally gives that person the faith to believe in the first place that goes, oh my gosh, I am broken, I am messed up, I do need something more, and I, I, I can't do it on my own. And God goes, here's my grace. And he reaches down to that heart and he says, now it's mine. Saying, I can take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is what our God is capable of. He was capable of it in Nehemiah's time, and he's more than capable of doing it in our own day and age. So my question as we go out is, what are we asking of God? Like, what's our big, bold request this week? Nehemiah's was big, and it was bold, and God honored it because God had called him to it. What is God calling us to do? Where is he moving in your life? Where is he moving in my life? Like, I, I love whenever we get together and pray as elders, Jeff Hookie always prays, God, send us the lost. It's the most sincere-sounding thing I know. And man, that's one of my big, bold prayers. God, send some people that don't know you. Like, I want to look out and go, I see that person. I'm pretty sure they're still my purse. Like, not my purse. This is for other people. Still my stuff if I'm not watching. But I'm okay with that because they're going to hear the gospel and I'm praying that God changes their heart. I'm praying that God would just give people this unbelievable awakening for his glory. And not for some superficial fluff, like that people would just fall in love with how glorious God is and they would want to know more about him and they'd, they'd want to know truth to where as things get crazy and change, you go, you know what, I know what to press into. I press into God each and every day and his glory blows me away. I wish that there would just be an awakening of wanting to know more of who God is. Man, my big bold prayer is that unity within our church, within other churches, would remain strong and people would go, no, I love this place and I want people to know that there's a community that can love on them. Like big bold prayers, what is God calling you to pray this week? What does he equip you for? Where you, do you get to be Nehemiah and go, you know what, I have a burden for that. I have a burden for that so much that I prayed through it, I know God's calling me to it, and I'm now going to boldly step out and do something. Because here's what I know can happen. When we pray big, bold prayers, we know God moves. So let's pray them this week. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, we know you're moving in lots of different ways. God, if you've placed this, this burning desire in people's hearts today, God, for whatever it is, for, for ministry, making your name known, reaching out to people, God, I pray that we would boldly step out knowing that you've equipped us for that as well. God, we pray big, bold prayers that you would, you would have this unbelievable awakening within our community, that people would fall in love with you. God, that they would know the plan that you have within salvation. God, if there's anyone that's here today or watching online and they, they've never had that moment where they said, yeah, I want to make that personal. Like having a relationship with Jesus is not just simply about going to church. It's not about being a good moral person. It's knowing him. And if you've never done that and that, that's you today, you feel Christ calling you, maybe you just pray, God, as best I know how, I want to turn from my old life. I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life and follow him. And in that instant, he takes a dark, calloused heart and he makes it into a new creation. And if that is you, I would encourage you, put that on a connect card. Talk to one of us after service. We want to celebrate that and talk about what it looks like to grow in that relationship. God, make us bold this week. We ask all of that in Christ's name. Amen.